If you have a Bible, I want to read just two verses of Scripture with you for our time together. Jeremiah chapter 8 is the first. Jeremiah chapter 8. And verse number 20. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 20 says, The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. One of the most solemn verses in all of the Bible. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And this is what I want you to get a hold of. We are not saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 then for our final reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God and it's unto salvation. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We trust that God will bless the reading of his precious word and give us help to consider again these well-known texts from the word of God. Some of you may know that in my employment and in uh, my daily job, I spend a fair deal of time analyzing and trying to predict uh, the quality and quantity of harvests around the world. And one thing that I've been impressed driving around the country here in Northern Ireland is that the harvest is being gathered in. And you haven't to drive too far around these roads of Ballyclare and Ballynure and Doch to see that the fields are being cut and the harvest that has been expected is being brought in. And it's uh, been upon my mind in recent days and in thinking about this meeting I can't get away from this verse in Jeremiah chapter 8 the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved you know you'll know that I'm not here to speak about the physical harvest in the fields nor about the physical summer that you've enjoyed the children are soon going to be back to school and very soon the harvest around these parts will all be gathered in and it will be true then that the harvest is past and the summer is ended and well I would love us to think of a more important harvest and a more important summer of opportunity it is the summer of salvation that is being made known again in Ballyclare hard to believe that we're at the end of August and whenever these drive-ins for July and August were announced. It felt like we had many opportunities in the will of God and that the months were stretching out before us and yet here we are, we're gathered on the last Lord's Day in August, the last drive-in of the season. And I would love you to get a grasp of this truth. We would love you to get located in light of these two texts because we feel there's a powerful number of people coming to meetings that just seem to drift, drift through meetings, 
drift through life just the way they were born in their sin. And before they know what has happened, many of them just die the way they were born and slip out into eternity to be under the judgment of God forever. You see, what I want to get at and be very simple for all that have gathered is this, that we have read of only two classes or categories of people in the world today at large, in Ballyclare here in the town, and even in this car park that we're gathered and the houses all around us, only two categories Only two classes of people as far as God is concerned. And the first category, the first category that we read in Jeremiah chapter number eight is a people who had to bow their head and say, we are not saved. Not saved. Mind you, it's a solemn business to find yourself in a meeting like this and to just have to acknowledge before God that you're not saved. Not ready, not forgiven. That's the first category that we learn of in the Bible. Everyone born that way, not ready, not saved. But then there's another category of people here in the car park today. And I'm included in that category. And we can say of a truth that the preaching of the cross is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, unto us which are saved. We have been saved by his grace, washed in his precious blood, forgiven, cleansed of all our unrighteousness and of all our guilt. And we are amongst that blessed category today, not because of anything that we have done, not because we go to the gospel hall here, not because of the home that we were born into, But because of the Savior that died upon the cross, the preaching of the cross is still the power of God unto salvation. Consider with me for a moment or two, and I'll try not to keep you for too long today. Firstly, this category, not saved. This verse in Jeremiah chapter 8 that I want to take and apply in the gospel today is, as I've already said, one of the most solemn verses that you could read in all of the Bible. It's about a people who had a season of opportunity, of blessing and of privilege. And that great season of opportunity and privilege and blessing, it came and went, and the people remained unchanged. And this people are now looking back upon opportunity that they did have and upon blessing that could have been theirs. And do you know what the lament, the cry from the heart of those dear people was? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. I don't need to tell you that the harvest speaks of a period of blessing and of provision and of bounty. And it's a time even out there in the world where people celebrate how that God has drawn near and harvest celebrations and so on and all that he has provided for us. Well, it's no different when we bring it into the spiritual, dear friend. Listen, the great harvest of salvation is being gathered in 
and the great summer of the day of grace and of salvation, it's soon going to be over, dear friend. For many, it's over. For many who are in eternity tonight, for many who are already over the boundary line, this is the language of their heart as they look back upon meetings just like this, opportunities just like you're getting now. This is what they're lamenting. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. We'll never be saved. We're lost forever. That's the realities of what's at stake, dear friend. Every time the gospel is preached, we're not here to try and tickle your ears, to try and grow the company and, and get a bit of support for Ballyclare Gospel Hall. We're here to warn you of what's at stake. That's the most noble thing that we could do for your soul is to warn you of the danger that you're in. You know, what really troubled me in thinking about this verse and the meeting today is this, that as I thought about who would likely be here and we're so glad to see everyone that has come, my mind went to certain individuals, certain people, and for you in this summer that's almost past, God has been drawing very near. Maybe he's touched your circumstances. Maybe he's touched your conscience. He's drawn near in a way that you never thought possible, that he might speak to you and stop you on your track in your sins. Oh, the gracious dealings of God and of his spirit, drawing near to people, just touching their life in order that they might be wise. Isn't that what the prophet said? Oh, that they were wise, that they would understand this. What's the most important thing to consider and to prepare for? Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Dear friend, I say again, the harvest is passing. The summer of opportunity for you will soon be over and you're not saved. Oh, that that would grip you today. I remember the day. Yes, I knew always that I needed to be saved. But I can remember the distinct moment that the truth of that little description gripped me like never before. Not saved. Not ready for eternity. Not ready to meet God. Still in my sins. Far away from him. Dear friend, it's a serious and a solemn thing to be in the meeting tonight. Not saved. But take heart, dear friend. Everything's for you. This is what delights our heart in the gospel message. Everything is for you. In this great harvest of salvation, in this great summer of salvation that will soon be over, God has made known the person of his son in the preaching of the gospel. He has provided salvation for you. The gospel is being preached. The Christians here in the room behind me, gather and pray for your soul. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't even be able to calculate the number of times that your name is mentioned. In prayer, what a privilege to have those that would love and long to see you saved. And yet that's only a little fraction of the great desire that the God of heaven would have to save your soul, to rescue you, to gather you in in this great harvest, in this day of opportunity. 
I hope I'm getting my point across without laboring it too heavy. This is a solemn verse to consider. And I want to come here soon now to brighter things. But dear friend, let it be known lest some stand in any doubt. That if you continue lingering just the way that you have been. Just coming and going to meetings. And never really settling down to the matter of salvation. Great to come to meetings. But an altogether greater thing to come with a listening ear. And with a seeking heart. Longing to know how can I be saved. I can't live another moment without it. That's the type of people that get saved you know. Do you want salvation? I challenge my audience today. As you're in the car park in Ballyclare. Is salvation your number one priority in the meeting just now? Or is salvation going to have to wait until you get A, B and C done at the beginning of the week? And you'll hope to get back next Sunday all being well. You're too busy at the moment. Dear friend, can I tenderly warn you that while that is the attitude of your heart, while other things are more important to you and crowd in upon your life and take priority, you'll never be saved. Because God only saves those who truly, genuinely, definitely want it. That's what the Bible says. Ye shall seek me. And ye shall find me. When? When ye shall search for me with all your heart. Dear friend, how can you be saved? You're in the category tonight. You bow your head in your car and you say, I'm not saved. The harvest is passing. The summer is almost ended. I need to be saved. How can I be saved? Well, Come and consider the second category of people that we read about in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 1. We read there that the preaching of the cross, it's to them that perish foolishness. That's just the world around us, those that aren't saved, those who know nothing about the great work of Calvary. To them, the idea of preaching about a man that died upon a cross, it seems utter foolishness. They can't understand it. How could salvation be found in the death of another man? It makes no sense at all. The preaching of the cross, it's to them that perish foolishness. Now listen to this. This is what makes the difference. Unto us which are saved. You see, there's a category of people here gathered, all born the same way, but there came a point in time when they realized that the preaching of the cross was far from foolishness. It was the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Oh, we would love that some would get that, that transformation from the kingdom of darkness into the light and glory of the person of Christ. That's what's on offer today. It's no small thing we're offering in the gospel today. We're offering a full and free salvation through faith. In Jesus' name. The preaching of the cross. What does that involve? The preaching of the cross. Well, you would know that it's far more than the bit of wood that was erected there in Calvary those thousands of years ago. Far more than that involved. Far more than just telling the story as an article of history, dear friend. Listen to this if you would like to be saved. At the very center of the preaching of the cross, we come in contact with a person. 
That person is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul could say, not, not we preach ourselves or we preach our own religion, our own ideas. No. The Apostle Paul could say, we preach Christ crucified. That's the answer, dear friend, today in Ballyclare, as you sit in your car longing for salvation. Get to the crucified Christ today and take from his pierced hand the salvation that he would long to give you. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. Let that be known. Salvation is no drudgery and it's no second rate of living. I can tell you the moment that a soul trusts Christ, there is a calm, there is a peace, there is a joy. I have a peace. It's as calm as a river, a peace that the friends of the world never knew. Dear friend, you haven't even begun to live if you've missed the Savior. But we're here today to offer to you, just at the very end of the harvest, just at the end of the summer of salvation, you could get slipped into the blessing through trusting the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would love you to ask yourself a question here, and I hope this is helpful for some we're really here to help those that want to be saved. If you don't want to be saved today, dear friend, well, it's good of you to come and you'll come and go, but really the message isn't for you. We're here to help those that want it and that want it now. Ask yourself this question as we consider the preaching of the cross. What did Calvary mean for God? We were thinking about that this morning after we broke bread around the, the symbol of a broken body and of blood that was shed. We thought from the Bible what Calvary meant to God. That might seem strange to you, but I would love to bring your thinking around to see why that is such an important question to get right in your mind. Because your sin and mine was against the God of heaven. The God of heaven would have been righteous, holy, and just to send us to hell for all eternity. That's what our sin deserved. How was a God like that ever going to forgive us, cleanse us from our sin, fit us for heaven? Well, that's just where Calvary comes in. That's what Calvary means to God. Because it was at Calvary that the person of Christ made a propitiation for sin. That's what we heard this morning. That big word simply means, as we were told, appeasement or a satisfactory sacrifice for sin. That's what went on at Calvary. Far more than a miscarriage of justice. Far more than a misfortunate event, dear friend. It was a masterpiece of God's redemption plan. Designed by God for ruined man. Salvation is found at Calvary. Calvary means to God a place of payment. It's where the price, it's where the transaction for sin took place. When the just, sinless, spotless, holy saviour. The just one, as the Bible describes him. He suffered and died for us, the unjust ones. Why? What was the purpose? That he might bring us to God. Oh, dear friend, at a distance in your sins this afternoon, God is longing to bring you near, to welcome you into the family. But you can only come by the way of the cross. The Savior himself could say, I am the way, the truth. And the life, a place of satisfaction, a place of payment. It's a place of a finished work. 
because the great work of salvation that had been planned from before this world ever was created, that great work found its climax, found its, found its completion at Calvary. Because when the Savior said, "'Tis finished," everything was fully done, done as God himself would have it, Christ the victory, fully won. Listen to this, vain and futile the endeavor, to believe or add thereto, God's free grace is thus commended, to believe, that's it, vain and futile the endeavor, to improve or add thereto, God's free grace is thus commended, this is how you get it, to believe. And not to do. Maybe your heart has sank as I've used that word believe. You can't understand it. You've tried to believe. Tried to believe the Bible way. Tried to put your name into a verse. Tried your best to work up enough faith and enough feelings so that God would save you. And you're just totally in the dark, frustrated in your sins, longing to be saved. Can we be a help to some like that today? I'll just tell you the moment that I got saved, a precious moment to be able to go back to. For me, the 5th of November, 2009, I was just like what I've described, completely occupied with myself. My believing, my faith, my feelings, how would I know if I've believed enough? How would I know if I'd believed this Bible way? What does it mean to believe? And you know the very last thing in my mind that evening that I was struggling and trying and working at salvation, the very last thing in my mind that night to my shame was the person of Christ. I hadn't got past the first word that that jailer heard from the lips of the apostles. Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I hadn't got past the first word. When in actual fact all of the emphasis and importance is found in what follows that great word. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the person that you place your faith and trust in that saves you. It's not the size of your faith that saves. I'll readily confess before you. The night that I got saved, I didn't have a whole lot of faith that I could gather up. I didn't. But the night that I got saved, whatever little faith I had, I placed it alone in Christ for salvation. And the language that was quoted in the prayer meeting was the language of my soul. If I'd known it, I could have sang it. Jesus, I will trust thee. Trust thee with my soul. Guilty, lost, and helpless. Thou canst make me whole. There is none in heaven nor on earth like thee, thou hast died for sinners. Therefore, Lord, for me. Now that's salvation. Salvation isn't about trying to work up enough anxiety and feelings and faith so that somehow you'll merit salvation because of what you've been able to produce. I want you to think of this for a moment. I've been impressed about it lately. There's many as a person around these localities and across the world of different religions and so on. And they have faith in something. Faith in a religious leader. Faith in church attendance. Faith in a, a life of good works and good living. They're not saved. 
Now, if you got down and examined their faith, this is what challenged me. If you got down and examined their faith, to my shame, many of them likely have far more faith in that religious leader or in that life of good works or in that place of worship than I've ever had. Nothing wrong with their faith. Plenty of it. Strong, couldn't turn them. What's the problem? What's lacking for salvation? It's not the size of their faith. It's not the amount of it. It's where they have placed their faith is completely wrong. Let it be known that neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Get occupied with Christ. You know, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be patronizing when we say it and make it so simple because the gospel is so simple. We could hardly make it simple enough for you. Forget all about yourself and your feelings and your, your fears. Get occupied with the man that's seated at the right hand of God as a prince and a savior. God has raised him from the dead. He's mighty to save. He's saved in recent days, you know. I think it often does unsaved people the world of good to hear of God saving others. And around the country that we live in and meetings here and there, some in their own home, some sitting in a meeting like this, younger friends, older friends, boys and girls, men and women are still being saved by the grace of God. My question tonight is this, why not you? Why not? What, what's keeping you back? What really stands between you and your soul's salvation? I've said already that everything's for you. You can't blame the God of heaven. He's provided salvation for you. You can't blame the Christians here. They're praying for you, arranging meetings for the gospel to be preached. The blame lies entirely with you. Listen, dear friend, as I finish, the harvest is passing. I want you to think about that every time you look at a field. Maybe winter, likely most of the winter barley gathered in. Some of the spring barley still in the fields here. Every time you pass a field, you remember the harvest is passing. The summer will soon be ended and I'm not saved. But praise God, the preaching of the cross is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes in his name. Salvation can be found this afternoon. Not trying or doing one's best, but simply believing in Jesus, the weary and sinful find rest. May God bless his word. Our Father, we bow at the close of our time together and thank thee for the opportunity that we've had to again ponder matters that are far more important than the mundane things of earth. We're glad to be able to lift our gaze and to lift our perception upon things that are eternal, upon things that will have consequences for the great hereafter. The word reminds us that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. It's the after this that gives us so much trouble and burden for those who are not saved because for them it will be the judgment. We pray that today at the very end of the great harvest of salvation, the day of grace will soon be over. Opportunities like this are fast coming to a close. We pray that some soul would with urgency press in and press on for salvation and trust thy son 
as their own and personal Savior. We give thee thanks for every blessing and for good weather to make known the message of the gospel in the open air another time. We thank thee for the Savior, the one that makes us all possible, the one that we present as the only means of salvation. We bow and acknowledge him as the greatest gift, all other gifts in one. Blessed be God our God. Receive our thanks again and take us each to our homes in safety. In the Savior's precious name, amen.